are alive to shine. I'm Beth. And I'm Kate. And this is the Shine Podcast, where we meet lots of different people and hear about the ways that they light up the world. And here's why we're doing this. We've been changed and affected by people who shine with the love of Jesus. And the world needs people like that, and like you, right now. So be encouraged. And let your light shine. shine. (laughs) They have lives before kids. I have short legs for a tall guy. Okay, what's the charter school? I mean, I know what a charter school is, but why did you go to oh, a charter school? Well, at first I went I went to a normal high school. It was a 5A high school. It was huge. And I just couldn't get it. I was a theater kid. I really struggled with homework. When I was 15, I, I already had like two jobs. When I was done with school, like at the end of the day, I did not want to do homework at all. That was my time. So I went to a program called PASS, which was set up by the high school that I went at. It was a place where you could like work at your own pace. They give you the textbooks and the curriculum. You couldn't really talk to anybody except like you could ask the teacher questions. One teacher might have 12 students and they're all on different subjects. So you get like a little bit of this teacher teaches science, biology, chemistry, You could finish at your own pace. I wiped out curriculums in record time when I could just do it all in school. Then they started incorporating it back into the high school, and I wasn't cool with that, and found a charter school that was just opening up and kind of fell in love with the people doing it. Did my last two years of high school there. And it was cool because it was such a new charter school. They were able to, like, test the grounds and stuff. We did fencing as a PE credit. Oh, fun. We had film appreciation classes, and we made movies and rented out the um, local college's uh, theater and put on these movies that we made. One that was like a modern-day take on Julius Caesar with a bunch of high school students. Played uh, Mark Antony. Ooh. Let's slip the dogs of war. I like this. There's a bunch of movies around high school and early college age that I'm in. Some comedies that we made outside of school. Just dumb teenage stuff. But they were well produced. That shirt looks well produced. I know. I was so happy about it. I almost wore it on Sunday, but I was like, (laughs) it might be a little too much. It's not too much. Where did you get that? Where do you shop? Online. Exclusively. Like cats.com type thing? I have no idea. Laura actually found this shirt and she's like, do you like this one? I was like, do you have to ask? (laughs) I want it so bad. Is that a question? <laughs> I made a mistake today. I ate Sespi Burger. Oh my gosh. So good. It's so good. It's one of my hidden gems that I've found since moving up here. But I guess it's not really a hidden gem anymore. Well, Everybody now that they're at Birdfish, it. I feel like they've yeah. kind of come out of their little hiding spot. Sorry. Bio continued. No. So... After high school, that was the restaurant and the... It started out during high school. I was working at a place called Baker's Ribs, a barbecue restaurant, doing dishwashing. And then eventually the manager was impressed with my food knowledge because I watched so much Food Network as a kid. Alton Brown's Good Eats. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, I watched every episode many times. I had them memorized. Does he have a new show out? He did uh, Good Eats Reloaded or something like that, or where he's doing new episodes of it. He's had a few shows. One of his best shows was Feasting on Asphalt, which was like a travel show with him. It was fantastic. Me and my dad used to watch that so much. He'd take like a motorcycle trip through the South and just stop at divey spots. And this was before like Guy Fieri yeah. and stuff. I was going to say, I've never heard of that show. It was really good. Most of the so travel good. stuff that I watch now is on YouTube. There's so many different people doing it. Mikey Chen, he did touring all over the world and just eats like these great looking like Korean hot pot places. It's just like, I wish we had one going of those. Going you're going. Check board game. Oh, my gosh. That was my dream job, and I blew it. <laughs> I blew it so hard. Tell us about that. Uh, I was big into board gaming at the time, and I went to, I think it was my first time going to, like, a board gaming convention. There's a big one that happens in Dallas called BGGCon, BoardGameGeek.com. Their big convention. It's one of the biggest in the country. Tickets were like over a hundred bucks and they sell out like in a couple days. It's crazy. So I got on from a friend of mine who knew some people that worked at a company called Days of Wonder that made board games. I got a free pass if I came on as a demoer where you take a new game that just came out and you teach people how to play it. It's great. Check Games Edition saw me there and I met two brothers, Philip and Peter Mermack. 
I played like an impromptu game in some corner of a hotel with uh, one of them and just kind of hit it off. And he knew that I was demoing for Days of Wonder and he thought that I was traveling with them and doing like more shows. But that was like my first and only ever like exposure into somewhat of an industry. They kind of set me up with a uh, position just talking to them, no like applications or anything of being the United States distribution manager. What it would basically entail was like go setting up conventions and like finding help, do essentially what I was there doing, but being the guy in charge. And so you go to Vegas, you go to New York, go to all these different conventions. There was just so much of a language barrier. I never set up a convention or anything like that before. So like there was a couple coming up that like I, I wasn't getting in time and they cut me. And <laughs> I, I went was, from playing board games in the corner to being in charge of the convention. For the United States. Like, <laughs> and, like that job training. And what's crazy is they're already a well-established company at this point. Like they've had really great success and released a lot of great games and they wanted me to be on their behalf and that wasn't going to happen but it really was a dream opportunity that just went down you can put it on your resume (laughs) board game i don't think i what's your title (laughs) president (laughs) i don't know (laughs) for how long two months no it wasn't even that it was was like a month oh you should do it put it on your resume yeah be a good question for the interviewer it's a lot of food service and then this one foreign game company So you and Laura got married, and then what made you guys decide to come here after you got married? Just, she's been wanting to move back for a long time. I visited with her a a lot, and she just wanted to be back around family and and friends, and and it was just kind of a point where, like, my brother had just moved to California. Before that, my parents and my brother, we all had houses in the same neighborhood, and it was wonderful. Like, you could ride a bike to see any of them, and so being around, like my nieces and nephew getting that family time was great but my parents were talking about moving to arkansas and tyler was moving to california so it just kind of seemed like we should be around some family so just wanted to make laura happy too it was a hard move though Mm -hmm. That that was a tough time just starting out when you're a musician and in some ways like in food service too networking is everything for career opportunities like when a restaurant shuts down and i've had it happen before other restaurants will pick you up because they kind of know that it was a good staff and like they're trying to help out so like you'd always get a call some friend that got a job somewhere saying hey they're looking for a couple more guys online bus it over to wherever and start working like i had nobody up here nobody Laura's friends were were all great, but I hadn't worked with any of them. I haven't something that was an occupation to me, music or otherwise. So like I really like took a back seat to music for a while and just focused on cooking again and started a homestead before Laura was even there. That was okay. I kind of got something going, but that was a rough transition. Mm. I'm still trying to find friends. <laughs> well, guess what? People listen to our podcast, and we'll just put it out there. Christian needs some good friends. Yeah. And we'll take applications. Yeah. What, gonna... what are you looking for? Oh, I'm easy. Oh, you need to have standards. No. no. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because I'm going to sort through yes. these suckers. We're taking applications, but you need to have standards. Feel like to sit down and have conversations with somebody over a board game. Okay, um, board game players. I just love board games because it's interaction with people. It's it's something to do while you're like hanging out. Okay, so we are taking applications for board game <laughs> buddies for Christian. All right, so board gaming has changed so much in like the last thirty years. It's you can find any interests like there. There's a board game for everybody. So simple stuff that you play with like a couple coasters. It's easy. (laughs) What if I just want to play euchre? That's fine. How about taco goat pizza cheese? Taco cat goat cheese pizza. Whatever. I'm so terrible at that. (laughs) I was laughing so hard. I lost every round. I don't like any game that I have to slap. (laughs) It's too aggressive (laughs) for me. It was so bad. too kind. Oh, He's not an aggressive man. Okay, so we'll change the application. No slapping board games. (laughs) No No. spoons. I'm I'm desperate. I'll play anything. (laughs) 
Oh, I like dice. Is your name Charles? Yeah. I was named after my grandfather, and he always went by Charlie, so it kind of... Were you Charlie in Texas, and you changed your name when you got out here? I've always gone by my middle name. It was awkward as a kid. Didn't explain that one. Is your brother the same way? Yep. His name is Joseph Tyler Halfred, and he goes by Tyler. Well, we'll do middle names today. Welcome, Shine Podcast listeners. It's Elizabeth. It's Lauren. And we are here with the beloved, charming, warm Charles, Charlie Christian Halford, who goes by Christian. Welcome, Christian. Thank you. (laughs) So happy to have you here. Yeah, so glad to finally be here. Took you long enough. Just had to work my way up on stage and then (laughs) into your hearts. Well, you certainly did with Riley. Oh, I will say that much. She's my f- favorite person on the planet. I will forever be a fan. Riley loves seeing Christian Aww. play the keyboard. She watches him close. I told Laura, I was like, is it weird if I get her stuff? Buy her gifts. <laughs> she needs a stuffed animal. Yeah. I'm not in a lot of toy stores anymore. Online show. More than I probably should be, though. Still. <laughs> Christian was born in North Carolina in the same hospital as his mom, his dad, and his brother, brother. all at different times. They spent a short stint in California and then settled in Texas where he was raised in a small town named Weatherford. He went to public school for the first 10 years of his life and then, because he hated doing homework, switched to a charter school which was more suited for his aptitude of homework and let him go at his own pace which he went really fast because he liked to do his work during the school day. He started working at restaurants At a young age at 15, washing dishes, he worked his way up to a line cook and then became the chef and then went to a bigger restaurant. So he's great in the food industry and has had a lot of fun cooking dishes and making tasty things. He also was the president of the North American Checkboard (laughs) Association or something like that. (laughs) You can check his resume and hear all about that. He's married to Laura Halford. Laura was on episode number 33, season one, so check her out. She had a great podcast. They have two cats, Gary and Floyd. He really wanted to go to culinary school. He got accepted into the Culinary Institute of America in New York, but he wasn't ready to leave his family. So instead, he went to Christ for the Nations in Dallas for music. Where he met all sorts of people. Yeah, definitely met met a few people. Had some interesting times. I was there for the Rick Pino, you spend me right round, Jesus right round. Oh, you kind of look like Rick today. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Got the beard and the hair yeah. going and the hat. Was he still shoeless? And I think he recovered. Okay. Made a full recovery. <laughs> I think he's allowed back now. <laughs> he was excused from Christ for the Nations for a time. Oh. After a special moment, which Christian was present You were there for? for? Yeah. We but... won't gossip about him on this podcast, but... No. Sure. Christian's been in Columbiana for two years. Maybe he'll talk about the hard transition it's been. And we are accepting applications for Christian because we're going to screen them because he said he has no standards, Definitely. but we will be screening. <laughs> Watch you like a hawk. He loves good company, good food. He loves to play board games and he's a fabulous musician. We are blessed with his presence on the stage yes. and his playing. Yeah. He's a keyboard player on the worship team and that he's been a wonderful addition to the upper room. He's also on the worship team as a kid growing up. Yeah, I've spent more years on worship teams than I've off at this point. (laughs) So he's an expert and we're blessed to have him here at the upper room. For sure. So welcome Christian. Thank you. (laughs) Well, so tell us, Christian. (laughs) Well, I was born a child. (laughs) (laughs) He had to call his mom and find out about his family history. Tell us who or what turned your light on. I was raised in a very religious family and there were so many people that were positive influences and important to like turning my light on. My parents were so supportive, and I had some great children, ministry workers, really great people. One person in particular, his name was Wade Sylvie. He was fantastic, but I would do, like, summer camps where he would teach us how to do, like, clown ministry and puppet ministry and stuff like that. And it was that time where puppet ministry was real big. Oh, I remember that. Good years. Yeah. <laughs> Kate says you cannot bring puppets back. Don't bring the puppets back. No, we but did We can reminisce. We did a lot of puppets, and I was clown often. Mexico. You were a clown? Yeah. That was really big back in the day. Do you remember Sunshine and Rainbow? 
Yeah. I remember when you were four years old, you were screaming bloody murder, climbing on top of your dad's head. He had to like whisk you out. That's when we met at Joshua Dixon school and you were freaking out about <laughs> sunshine and rainbow. I will I never forget that. Clowns. But then I became one. Oh, my gosh. I think that was kind of a moment for me, too. It's like once you put on the makeup, it, you kind of sympathize a little bit and <laughs> realize there's a human under there. <laughs> once you put on those size 32 shoes, walk a mile. <laughs> so you love to do theater. Oh, yeah. My, we missed that in the bio. My biggest claim to fame was a, was a high school performance of Little uh, Little Shop of Horrors. And I played the dentist or Scrivello. It was so much fun. Hey, really we, we could get into theater and have some plays. Have you ever seen the movie Little Shop of Horrors? Steve mm-hmm. Martin's character. That's, that's who I played. I had leather pants until I ripped them. It was great. <laughs> the theater uptown. Oh, I, my days are done. Oh. I'm retired. Oh, you might have to come I'm out so of retirement. I, even even when I was like doing plays and in, in my prime, I, I was terrible at learning lines. I was great at improv. So you had a really positive experience growing up. It was it was something to do, and I, I just never was like a huge fan of sports. So like other things that I could do that involved people and critical thinking and doing something creative. That was my jam. I was playing music at that point too, so it was like musical theater was really fun. I like singing it just kind of made sense was that a part of your church experience too music keys and singing oh yeah i used to sing a lot back in like early days i remember like little old lady she must have been like 80 you could be on american idol (laughs) thank you you're you're wrong but (laughs) (laughs) thank you So growing up in the church, do you remember a time where you made it a decision where it wasn't your parents' religion or your church's religion, but it became personal to you with Jesus? I think that came later on. Everything in church growing up just kind of became second nature. My dad, like, would play on the worship teams as well. He's a great guitarist. And my mom would always find something, some part of the church to be be a part. For a long time, she led the youth women's ministry. And it seemed like... Just everyone was involved? Yeah, everybody. My brother played bass. And, like, it was just kind of like I knew how to play piano. So eventually, like, I would play piano for church. And it started off with children's ministry and being a part of that. And this was before I really knew how to, like, creatively write something, like, while somebody's praying or talking. So I would just play songs that I know, like Coldplay, and nobody would know. <laughs> but to like young adults would pass by and like, are you playing Cigarettes? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't until much later on that it kind of became my own choice. And Was there something that happened that flipped that switch on? Not really, just different thinking. Like just uh, my parents gave me some more like room to kind of explore and... I just wanted to stay in the church because I was such a, like, that's where all my friends were. That's where, like, everything that, like, I had kind of experienced that I enjoyed was, like, through summer camps and different activities. and It felt safe. Yeah, it was, it was just, it made sense. I was baptized real early on and speaking in tongues and nothing was really held back from me, like, growing up. To the point of, like, it made some interesting stories, learning, like, the origins of the Easter Bunny and, like, how it has pagan roots and stuff. Stuff, so we don't get an Easter basket anymore. <laughs> like we can't do bunnies and you can't play with Pokemon cards. And so nothing was ever really watered down for, for us as kids. We read the Bible and sat in church. We would go to kids' church every once in a while, but we were there for the, the whole part of it. I don't know. I just never really fell out of church. That's what made going to Christ for the Nation kind of make so much sense. Culinary school was such a great opportunity, but it was just going to be a ton of money. And like moving all the way from little town of Weatherford to to, uh, upstate New York, straight out of high school, it was, I couldn't do it. It was just too much. And so the church that I was playing at at the time, a little church in Weatherford, Grace Community Fellowship. The pastor there, he was a uh, former minister of music at Christ for the Nation. So I kind of had like a little bit of an in with the music department if I went there. So I went there and... Is that a four-year? I think you have an option okay. of being a four-year. What a lot of people do is they go either two years or four years and then transfer to Dallas Baptist University, DBU. I didn't make it that long. 
<laughs> it was so explosive from when I first started to just a month in. I was put on one of the student bands, which was pretty unheard of for people first year to be on a student band. I nailed the uh, auditions and... Playing Coldplay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nobody heard it before, so <laughs> I was safe. I was picked for the A-team. And when you go to Christ for the Nation, like getting on a student band, that's like getting the varsity football team of a major high school. It's such a huge opportunity. People go places when they start out there. The band that I was in, we would play for the entire congregation during uh, worship time. It's a massive school, so like you had the A team and the B team, they would switch out. I really fell in love with doing music there. You had to take lessons, take piano lessons, like if you're going to play piano. So it was like constantly getting better, and I'd ride my longboard to the music hall and play piano all day. It was great. I made friends with the people in the uh, practice lab, so they let me use the good grand piano. <laughs> I was so blessed. Yeah, and I'd still travel back to Weatherford from Dallas to play at church on Sundays. Because at that point, I was uh, also starting to get paid as a musician, which was a whole new thing. It's always been kind of a uh, touchy area, like when when you talk about paying worship musicians. You can defend either side pretty easily, but I know I've always kind of felt a little awkward getting paid. Like, it's great, and there's been times where I really needed the money, and, like, it became another job for me. It, it kind of does that. I've played with a lot of musicians, and the people that play for free usually have the better hearts about it. They're probably not the best musicians that you can get, but, like... They're the ones that you want. They're the ones that will be there for everything and really have their hearts into it. Yeah, I've been on both sides of the coin for that. So yeah, I was traveling back to make a little extra money playing at church and going to my, my home church in Weatherford and coming back. And then everything kind of collapsed. <laughs> I was seeing this girl who was going to a different college than me, probably about like a 45-minute drive. And I had kind of confided in a few of the people on our floor about this relationship that I had. And Christ for the Nation had like a specific no sex, no drinking, no tattoos, no long hair. Most of those things I had done. <laughs> I couldn't just cut my hair on this issue. And this relationship was getting so rough that she was threatening me when I tried to break up with her and, like, call it off. That she was going to show up at the school and tell everybody and rough situation. And then one of the RAs from the floor said, well, if you don't tell the dean about this relationship, I'm going to tell him. And I had to do it. So I told him about this relationship and they took me off the student band immediately. I still had to go to all the practices, even though they filled my spot, so I had to sit there and watch somebody else play. That's when I started really going through heavy depression. My roommates were terrible. They were not sympathetic at all. And so eventually, like, I just packed up everything and left. I went to the uh, the administration's building, and I was like, well, I'm here to, uh, to drop out. Do I need to sign anything? And the woman just freaked out on me. She's like, you, you, you can't just leave. You, you have to meet with Dean Tempty and two other people, and you have to go through this long period. And it's like, I've got everything in my car. I'm, I'm out. So that was a season in your life where that kind of spiraled you? That's when I first started really dealing with depression. And that would be like a, a big thing in my life for, for a while. Because up until that point, I'd always been like a pretty bouncy person. Like, I love making people feel good. I love just being a source of joy to people. It was really hard to kind of lose everything at once and not feel like I was understood and... Were you 18 or? I was probably 19 when this happened. I turned to like relationships. I, I stayed with that girl that caused me so much issue and we stayed together for a while and we're on and off again for, for even longer. And she was dealing with her own stuff. It was just two really unhealthy people trying to have a relationship. I don't know how I feel about dating as a, as a young person after my experiences. It's such a painful thing sometimes. Relationships can really mess you up and leave you scarred. 
I think it's laid out pretty well biblically. Good ground rules. If I had followed more what I had been taught, probably could have saved a lot of heartache. When you're going through depression and you're young and that need to make other people happy, I always had a girlfriend. When I was a young kid, even in like elementary school, I, I was like the first to have a girlfriend and stuff. And <laughs> like little cutesy things like where you hold hands and you never kiss. <laughs> Okay, so talk to me about leaving Christ for the Nations, which is a religious institution, your experience there, leaving there. Did it affect your view on church, how you saw God? From that point, did you grow? Or you said you went into depression. Yeah, Christ for the Nation was really strict at the time. Do you feel like you had a problem with church afterwards or with God afterwards? Or you were able to kind of... I was able to separate the institution from God, God himself. I had always had a really close relationship with God, able to talk with him and be there in his presence whenever like I needed to talk to somebody. Leaving Christ for the Nations was probably one of the better things that I could have done just because of how things were like shaping out there. And it just, not to talk bad about Christ for the Nations or, or say anything about the alumni or anything, but like when I left Christ for the Nations, I got disowned by all the musicians that I had ever played with there. I tried to get in touch with a few of them to do like some, some worship things like on the side. I couldn't even get somebody to text me back. And these were like my best friends. When I was out, I was out. Mm. And that really jaded me to, like, people of the church. God was always kind of separate, something that I understood a lot better. Like You, you know that people are flawed, and, but you, you, you have a different expectations for these people that are, like, worship leaders and people that you've spent, like, every day with. Now you can't even talk to them on the phone. Emily talked about that a little bit with her experience about when worship becomes an industry. Yeah. And how that can be very disheartening. Yeah, it, there's a thin line between worship and entertainment. It's so much production and stuff can go into it and feel like you have all the right intentions, but it's not what's the most glorifying to God. If it's not glorifying to God, what's the point? A.W. Tozer has that quote that says, in the American church, if the Holy Spirit were to disappear today, no one would know. No one would notice. The majority of churches in the nation would have no idea that the Spirit has left the room. I mean, it's something to that. Are you there for worship or are you just a fan of music? Music is such a powerful tool. Like, it's been used throughout history, like, for worship in all forms. When you start relying too much on, like, power of music and not who you're trying to praise, and it, it should just be a tool to get people from point A to point B. I've always wanted to come from a place of authenticity. And so speaking of that, what you want and authenticity, tell us what lights you up. Board games. <laughs> <laughs> Nerdy stuff. No, more than anything, people. I, I love good company. It doesn't matter what we're doing, if it's a bonfire or just having coffee or something. There's something about good conversation and getting to know somebody else. I love these podcasts because like I've been able to get to know so many people from the church and it's such a great form of medium to bury your soul. <laughs> yeah. Or, or at least chunks of yeah. it. I'm not saying that everybody needs to, to know everything about everybody, but people are real and sometimes we forget that. It becomes too Facebook profile. Right. All the highlights. Yeah, you 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 see everything that's happening during the day, so like it's like, no, I don't really need to catch up with them. They posted four times yesterday and they were happy <laughs> and having fun. Yeah. <laughs> I had someone say this past week that there was someone who came up on the podcast that they almost skipped because they had a preconceived notion about them. And they had thought to themselves, you know what, I might skip that one. And they decided not to. And they got a hold of me and said, I love this person. <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> this person is real. They're a real person. I was wrong. And I love that story because people are so much deeper than their Facebook posts. And there's so much more to them than oh, yeah. what you see, you know, from the other side of the Or even how they just show up, show up on Sunday morning. Right. One of my uh, favorite, like, early kind of intros into people was uh, that blog that's like People of New York. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so fascinating. But it's it just like people off the streets just kind of like getting a glimpse into their lives. Fascinating yeah. stories. I don't know. There's 
there's there's there's something to like getting to know a stranger. I used to be a lot better about it. When you get to a certain age, I guess it, it becomes harder to strike up a conversation with just anybody. You're young and like teenager and you kind of have youth on your, your side, curiosity. I used to just strike up conversations with people all the time. Travel to different states, the woman behind the counter, just ask her how she was doing. Well, do you like cooking for people? I haven't cooked so much a- anymore. I like I don't really have a great kitchen. Back when we lived in Fort Worth, I really loved that house. Like we lived that was one of the hardest things about moving. We did a big renovation to our kitchen and kind of had this dream kitchen. We lived downtown Fort Worth where the food scene was like exploding and there's restaurants to work at and like great places to eat. Having that kind of at your disposal, like I was cooking all the time, it's definitely simmered down a lot more since since moving up here. Since Colombiana. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, I have full hope that it's going to pick up. At some point. I've got some rice cakes in my freezer. I feel like we can have a board game party and everybody bring something to share. And I've got full hope it's going to pick up. Right on. Some days we'll have more than nine fast food drive throughs in Homestead. Yeah. <laughs> you got some restaurants. I'm not leaving out Golden Josie's Dutch House, El Paso. What? Golden Chopsticks. Right. Golden Chop. Chiang Thai. Those are also Belleria. Yeah. Michelle Bella's, Bella Shellas. Oh, oh <laughs> dearly beloved. I'm, I'm sad I never got to experience seven and fourteen. It's, is it closed? Be. Yeah, I didn't know that. It's been closed for like it's since, been long since COVID. I think so. Yeah, <laughs> haven't been frequenting. COVID, frequenting hit, COVID hit them hard. <laughs> <laughs> they never recovered. Well, listen, you can come into my greasy kitchen. <laughs> Sure, make paella. So Christian, in Colombiana, in this new season of your life, two years in, with Laura and Gary and Floyd, how are you letting your light shine? Oh my gosh. I don't get out much. I, uh, it has to be in like interactions with people. I just, I still have that same thing from being a kid where like, I just want to take care of people and be genuine. I can't go to like, I can't go to like a restaurant that has an open kitchen without thanking like the kitchen staff. Like I've always done that waffle house and stuff. Like I I thank everybody, make sure that they're tipped. I, I think it's just spending an extra, even if it's just an extra minute, like letting somebody know that you care for what they did or appreciating people you see people yeah i see a lot of people and and just trying to change their day like even if it's just a joke or something just want to see them smile for a little bit so much negativity like nowadays and so many people that are like i have a real big heart for food service i know it's a really tough industry and they say there's a lot of drugs in the kitchen no more so nothing more so than like alcohol when you work in a kitchen like that's kind of what you do every night you'd work a long shift the only thing open late at night is like fast food and bars so you go to the bars with everybody that you worked with and you drink until you're too drunk to go home and then you go home it's it's a rough cycle like my life for a long time working and drinking and going home and being sad. So when you talked about leaving Christ for the Nations and you were experiencing depression, did that depression lead into that lifestyle? Well, it just kind of like, it was really just a uh, trying to fill the void. There was this real big hole in me from depression and feeling like, unfulfilled and there's nothing I can do and working in restaurants like the people that I looked up to chefs and stuff they all drank and had hard home lives and it just like well this is my path and so the better the kitchens that I'd work in like the more people drank it was crazy I finally got to where I was a sous chef at a tapas restaurant and um It was like a premier spot in Fort Worth, and it was just mismanaged and and everything, but it ended up shutting down like nine months later. It was such a hard hit, because I had finally worked up to the highest point that I had gotten, and we showed up for work that day, and they just told us that we're not opening anymore. I went home and cried. It was a really tough time. I had no idea if I'd ever like get to be in that spot. And the people that I worked with were fantastic. I had some of my best friends in that kitchen. And 
the craziest point in my life. And like at this point, I'm trying to juggle church and like being on a worship team at the same time. So I have like these two lives that are like really conflicting and yeah. like they're both all I know. It's like I know the church and I know I'm meant to be a part of it and I know it's where my heart really is. But like I need money and working in restaurants is, is so demanding and it's there there were times where like i drank too much on a saturday night and like couldn't play at a church on sunday morning luckily those were very limited times but they hit me so hard that it was kind of a well i need to figure things out luckily i did tell us about that process figuring figuring it out out? oh my gosh it was (laughs) well with depression i didn't feel like i could talk to anybody I I had very limited face-to-face conversations with people where I was just totally up front. I felt like I... uh, You tried to hide it? Oh, yeah. Big time. Not so much because, like, I knew it was wrong, even though, like, I knew it was wrong. It was much more of, like, nobody will understand. This is part of the life that I've chosen. The drinking part? yeah, Yeah. Drinking and working. It got to be the point where, like, both lives couldn't coexist. It wasn't a good vibe, and it finally came down, all right, the drinking needs to stop. First of all, like, I was starting to get some serious stomach issues with, like, ulcers and stuff. Just stopped being fun. The second thing was my spirituality is really running thin, and I'm realizing that I can't be this one guy, like, in the majority of my work career, and then come to church once a week and pretend that, like, that wasn't me. And so I had a worship leader that it was at that same church where I I spent most of my time in Weatherford at Grace Community. And I remember like just being in one of the back rooms and him just praying over me. And I just told him everything. I, I was just in tears. He went through and like one by one just cast demons out. It was probably an hour long of just intense praying. I don't know if that that was like what I needed, but like for right then, it definitely was really what helped the most. Having somebody like go that hard in the paint for me, somebody that it's an awkward thing to pray for somebody that's in a hard spot, at least for me, like it's it's always been awkward to be be prayed for too. It's it's a vulnerable thing. You, you really have to let it let it all out. For him to sit there and do that that with me, it just, it changed a lot. And like, it was a jumping off point for starting a new life. And from that point on, I, I know I didn't drink as much and or hardly at all anymore. At this point, like, I, I don't even drink. It's kind of like um, Dennis McKenna said, when you get the call, you hang up the phone. When you when you kind of get the answer that you've been looking for, you don't keep searching for it. <laughs> like You don't keep trying to get a better result. You just go with what you've got. Start your life. Change. So you said that was the jumping off point. How has life been since then? Because you have a totally, you have a wife now. You, you're in Columbiana now. Yeah. Me and Laura met, I forget when we first met, six years ago. We dated for for a long time before we got married. She was the manager at a winery called Times 10 Cellars. And I was trying to get a job there as a working a wood fire pizza oven. She was so sweet. She gave me her business card and like I met with all the managers that day and I just really kind of started falling for her. And I remember telling one of the coworkers, it's like, Laura's the kind of person that you marry just because you want to spend the rest of your life with her. And she had a boyfriend too. Like I'm like pining over her and she's in a relationship. I started, it's terrible. I started messaging her on Facebook and trying to steal her away from her boyfriend and stuff. And <laughs> which worked out because it was apparently a terrible relationship and she, yeah. she, she was really feeling it. And her mom was pressuring her to, to move back home and didn't like the guy that she was with. We were pretty fast in love. Times 10 eventually went out of business, and when she found out, that's when I proposed to her. She lost her job, and I just felt like it was the right time. It's a terrible story. Like (laughs) (laughs) She lost her job, and I proposed. I just wanted her to be sure of something in life, and so that's kind of when we started planning to move to Columbiana. So we got married on January 1st and then moved in May. Now we're in Columbiana and happy as clams. Playing your board games. Yeah. We got another one to play tonight. I'm so excited. What is it? <laughs> really? It's called Splendor. It's about gym trading, like gemstones and stuff. It's really a pretty game. It's so relaxing and nice. Yeah. There were some rough times. 
I was working for a while at a brewery in, in Fort Worth doing deliveries, like delivering kegs all over the Metroplex. I would drive for like hours and hours going all over all over Texas to deliver kegs. Eventually, I was stuck in traffic and a moving van didn't see traffic was stalled and slammed into the back of my van. I wasn't really hurt much more than just knocked around, but I got really bad anxiety and started having issues driving afterwards. I couldn't look in my rearview mirror without getting visions of big trucks that weren't stopping. and I just started having bad depression again and anxiety was happening. And so like me and Laura, we searched for, for a while for a therapist and a doctor and people that, that I could talk to. That's one thing that like is is the hardest part about starting to deal with mental illness is finding that initial place where you can get help, whether it's like a doctor or a psychiatrist or a therapist, but like finding somebody at first because most places have long waiting times and you're going through hell. It's just it's more than you can deal with. I just remember appointments where like they scheduled it wrong and it missed appointments and couldn't get in for months and finally found somebody and they diagnosed me with schizophrenia and put me on medication immediately and that was a huge transition from okay I've got anxiety and depression it's like okay you have schizophrenia how'd that happen apparently from trauma like you can have trauma-induced schizophrenia and paranoid schizophrenia so i was having these bad episodes of where i was like checking my front yard like the driveway and checking out in the backyard because i felt like people were were surrounding me and laura would be at work and i was like after the brewery like i couldn't drive anymore so i stopped working there and just kind of stayed at home and got worse and worse until finally found a doctor that would see me and got on like the right medication and then it became bearable there was a huge period in our relationship where like, it was really stressful. We've talked about mental health. I don't know if you heard Mel's podcast, but talked about that. For you, how has the medical world and the faith world collided or combined in order for you to find your way towards health? What was really crazy was um, I thought that I, I was in touch with God when all this was kind of going down, when... I started on medication. I stopped hearing God in the way that I normally would hear him. And so there was this period where I felt really wrong because here I thought I had like the voice of God leading me when that was a byproduct of schizophrenia and how, how am I supposed to discern what, what, what's what? It became a really hard time discerning between like what is spiritual and what is like mental illness. Yeah, it was a really rough time of just discerning what was spiritual. And once I started getting dialed in on my medication and started spending more time in the Bible, I had had some good conversations with my brother's father-in-law. He lives out in California where, where they do Dennis Ely. He's a great guy, but we have some conversations when when I'd be out there visiting and he ended up giving me a copy of my utmost for his highest Oswald Chambers yeah I did that every day and and got back into reading the Bible and kind of used that as my new baseline for for everything it's like if I was kind of unsure of what was going on in my head I knew scripture was sound and such that's such a good point Mm because I think even for people who don't feel like they're dealing with mental health issues, there are times and seasons when you're like, do I hear from God? I'm not hearing anything. And I always say, just pick up your Bible, read your Bible, because that's God's word. And it doesn't change. And he doesn't veer from that. And so if you want a baseline, read the Bible. I mean, it, absolutely. Like doing something like like a, a daily devotional is like a great starting point too, because it just kind of it gives you some points to think on too. Like not yeah. just scripture, but like kind of some insight and how about this and think about this and. I think that's also really good. I mean, hitting scripture along with the classics like Oswald Chambers. I do morning and evening with Charles Spurgeon. Mm-hmm. Those guys. They're just such heavy hitters, and yeah. anytime you open something they're reading, they're directing you straight to scripture as well. 
stuff to think about during the day is oftentimes really profound. And one of the things that was like a requirement in Christ for Nation was reading reading your Bible, but it was you had to read it from start start to finish, and you had to log like what you read, and you had reports to do on what you read. And I never was a big fan of doing that because I, I guess it goes back to like hating homework. Like the Bible's a hard read, start to finish. <laughs> you get a little <laughs> plugged up there in yeah. Leviticus. <laughs> it's it's so it's so much better when when you can you can split it up and jump around and take a break from some of the more crunchy stuff think having brother's father-in-law my sister-in-law's father however you want to say it he was such a good influence and those are great thoughts though what would you say your advice is for people and us in the church to help people who who are struggling with mental illness and anxiety and depression like how can we be a support system it's really hard for to just say like be supportive and be a, be an open ear for for people it's not enough when you're really struggling with somebody you you don't open up like you you're really drowning in it and it's it's not something that you feel like you can just like put on somebody else it's a burden you don't want to like make somebody else sad like you are and and deal with that but if you really want to help somebody and you kind of know what they're they're going through doing a little bit of research into like counselor or therapist like i know greg aker here had some good recommendations for for me when i first moved up here and now i'm at the columbiana counseling center that's been a huge blessing but I think going that step farther than than just being somebody, if they just want to talk to you, then be that, but give them a ride to doctor's appointment or something and just support them in getting getting help. Because if you're really struggling with, with depression or, or any kind of like anxiety and anything else, then it's, it's bigger than you are and it's so much better to just get, get some help. I mean, there's so many great professionals out there. And now with technology, you can even do like FaceTime with, I forget like the companies that do it, but where you It's can, telehealth now. Yeah. You, Thanks to COVID, we now know we can do that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's fantastic. I had all my, my um, appointments like for phone call and only just recently started meeting back in person, which I'd rather go back to phone calls. It's so much easier. <laughs> like, you don't have to drive. It is a huge summit and it is worth getting help putting that time into it like i'm finally at a point where i've started going down on my medications i'm able to like have a healthier life not have to be on such heavy medications and it takes time but like it's it's so worth it have somebody there to help you number four. Oh my gosh you're almost done talk to me about a spiritual experience that you've had have you ever experienced something supernatural I've been really blessed with some of the musicians and like opportunities that I've had to to play like big events. Mm-hmm. And um, there was one um, worship leader, Deborah Camp, that I played with for for a long time. And she would do these women ministries and conferences and stuff. And I would play for Ooh. her on those. We're having a women's conference soon. I can play piano. And like my dad would play and like other people that that I was close with, it was always good musicians and people that really cared. And those were some powerful events. And I really enjoyed playing with Deborah. She, she's such a wonderful lady with a great heart. I wrote some songs for her album, one of her albums. And she's a fantastic lady. And even when I played at Christ for the Nations, those were some powerful sessions, like playing for the entire student body. Like, that's a lot of people. And whenever there's a lot of people worshiping together, it's a, it's, it's a huge thing. God shows up and yeah, like, it takes amazing. your breath away. I mean, there was times where we, we play and like things would happen out in the audience. People would be miraculously healed or just powerful prophetic words. I, I've been blessed to be a part of a lot of things and. But I think 90% of them have been music-related, a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. So, Kate, as you are leading worship team for the upper room, we haven't had keyboards mm-hmm. for a, long for a really long time. And mm-hmm. how has that been having Christian join oh the team? Gosh. I keep telling Christian, you're so anointed. I feel like he gets up on stage and is just like, ding, 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 ding. It, you know, even if he's just clunking around... I've told him there's just times he's kind of sat down to start dirt, dirt, dirt playing. 
and I'm on my microphone like, <laughs> you know, I start crying and it just gets really emotional because, I mean, yes, yes, I think it's really important to be good at your instrument. There's a necessity of that, but there's something that comes with you being good and also really anointed, and that's Christian. He's really good at what he does, which is wonderful. I love it. But it's even more fantastic because he's so anointed when he plays. If he just played all the time, which he, he's been so gracious about, he's just like, yeah, whatever. I'll play that Sunday. I'll play every Sunday. Whatever. I 100% love playing here. Like all the musicians, and it goes back to kind of what I was saying about like it's so much better to play with people of the right heart, people that are passionate about what they do and just want to give God a platform to work. I don't know. Like I personally feel like I'm probably the rustiest I've ever been, but like, <laughs> <laughs> like I went through a phase where worship became like a job and, and that wasn't a good place to be in. And then so like now I'm definitely in this where it, it is worship and it is purely just for, for the benefit of God. That's where I like to be at. One of the reasons I think your light is shining. I mean, thanks for being on here and mm-hmm. being vulnerable with us. I know it's mm-hmm. Laura was vulnerable on her podcast and so many people were just blessed and touched by yeah. her podcast. I think when people are open and real and take a risk to be vulnerable, it opens up the door for other people to feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And what I love about you is that, you know, you're in the midst of a struggle and a battle and you're working your way through it and you're doing what you need to do to be healthy. But in the midst of that, in the midst of imperfection, God uses you, you're anointed by him Mm -hmm. and you are willing to show up and play for us. You know, when you you could say, I'm not feeling it today. I've got too much anxiety. You show up and you come and God uses you. And that's a miracle. Mm -hmm. And I think that just doing that is a huge light that you're shining to our community. And we really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. I love doing it. If you put your heart in the right place and allow God to work through you, great things happen. People always just say, like, don't put God in a box. It's like, but it's it's true. It's like, if you allow God to work and do his thing, like, he cares for us. He wants great things for us. He wants to give us abilities to do great things, too. And I, I, I love being in his presence with music. Hey, Shine Podcast listeners, you heard it from his mouth that Moving to Columbiana was hard, and he hasn't met very many friends. And so I believe in our community, and I think we need to change that. So Kate and I are taking applications for friends Join for Christian. Us. No girlfriends. He's married. I'm ruthless. To the lovely Laura, but... Isn't she the best? She, she is the best. She's so great. Yes. I wouldn't be here without her. Laura and Jesus. Yeah. They go Amen. hand in hand. If you're out there and you resonate with some of the things that Christian shared about today, about experiencing depression or anxiety or just in a lifestyle or a work environment or any type of environment where it's not healthy and you're not living your best life, Christian said it right. He sets good guidelines. We want you to know that there is hope for you and there is help for you. And we have some really great resources for you. So encourage you to talk to Pastor Greg, email the church, because there's help. Jesus loves you, and he can still use you even when your life's not perfect, but he wants what's best for you, and so do we. So Christian, thanks for sharing your story and spending the evening with us, and we really appreciate it. Stay tuned next week for another special guest. Bye. Bye!